I think I watched it about three times now. I watched specific scenes more than once that I was interested in breaking down a little bit more than others. But I think like in total, I've seen every episode start to finish three times. Uh, nice. And so I've had some you did time your homework. to... I did my homework, but I was also extremely reluctant to give an answer on how I felt about it right away. Because the first two episodes probably came around to, what, like an hour and 30 minutes, an hour and 45. And I felt like there was so much packed into those two episodes. So I was super reluctant to jump forward and give an answer right away. Especially because I'm coming at it from the I know Clone Wars and I know Rebels really, 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 really well. And I wanted to give it time to sink in before I fully formulated an opinion. But I feel ready to talk about it now. I know you said you only got to watch it once, but... I watched I it kind of twice because I uh, did my reaction video editing, so I paid closer attention yeah. than I usually do when I'm editing those videos. Um, so, And then I, I, I read up on some stuff, too. So I, I'm not as prepared as I'd like to be because I would have liked to watch it twice, but I've still seen it once, so I have plenty of information to go off of. And by the way, this is a nice like comparison here because you're the Star Wars dork and I'm just like the regular guy. <laughs> I don't think you're like a, the regular guy. Well, I'm more regular than your average person, I'd say, or you're, you're the average watcher of the show probably. Everyone, all of our viewers probably know more than I do, so I might come off as a little ignorant because I haven't watched Rebels, but I think that's a good perspective to have because I agree. that's how a lot of people are going to be viewing the show, and actually that's where a lot of the criticism is coming from mm-hmm. on the show, which we can talk about later, which some of it I agree with, some of it I disagree with. Um, but I think it, it, it's a good uh, balancing from the two of us is like you have a really detailed perspective and I'll have like the hey what's the first impression from someone who's like I'm just watching this show dry you know what I mean and sure. I don't have all the context um, and I still have really good things to say about it so I think <laughs> I think it still will be a very valid uh, breakdown from both of us so guys thanks for joining today uh, if you do enjoy these videos want to watch the rest of them which I may or may not be a part of because my baby's on the please click <laughs> like subscribe below leave your comments you guys have left a lot of comments already it seems like people are really excited about the show but thank you for joining us on this journey as we continue to break down all the latest and greatest Star Wars content coming out um, and the most highly anticipated show this show I think for since Obi-Wan I think is, is this show Ahsoka and there was really high hopes for it so if you guys want to be here on that journey with us click like subscribe also check out our merch and all that fun stuff shoot us an email at another Star Wars podcast at gmail.com go to our socials at star underscore wars underscore pod and check us out there too so that's my blurb that's the blurb. All right, let's kick it off. Let's talk about Ahsoka, parts one and two. I believe the first part is called Master and Apprentice, and the second part is called Toil and Trouble. We are going to break each of these episodes down scene by scene, and we're going to discuss and give our over- overall thoughts and then give the final verdict on what yeah, we we'll thought. Yeah, we'll give a final verdict. I We used to do our, our thoughts at the beginning of the episode, and I feel like that was like too jumbled up it wasn't organized sure. enough so that that's why we do scene by scene now for everyone joining who maybe watched some of our old episodes before but we started doing that with mando and with bad batch and we're going to continue mm. that format for ahsoka unless you guys like the random chatting <laughs> going uh, all over the board tangent yeah the tangent away but i think this is a little bit more organized and we'll still give our tangent thoughts during the episode and at the end so um yeah if you if you're good to start we should we jump into the episode yeah, Master and Apprentice. Let's talk about it. Let's do uh, our breakdown. Cool. All right. So, Buckle starting up. off, episode <laughs> one. All right. This is a very good opening, in my opinion. We start with a crawl. The Star Wars 
crawl in red lettering. Um, I'll just read the crawl real quick. The evil galactic empire has fallen and the new republic has risen to take its place. However, sinister agents are already at work to undermine the fragile peace. A plot is underway to find the lost Imperial Grand Admiral Thrawn and bring him out of exile. Once presumed dead, rumors are spreading of Thrawn's return, which would galvanize the Imperial remnants and start another war. Former Jedi Knight Ahsoka Tano captured one of Thrawn's allies and learned of a secret map which is vital to the enemy's plan. Ahsoka now searches for the map as her prisoner, Morgan Elsbeth, Elsbeth. Is, is transported to the New Republic for trial. So this deserves a, a tangent in and of itself, starting the show this way. I think it's a brilliant <laughs> move. Amazing. Like, you can't get more Star Wars than this, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, this is, like, one of the most iconic things. I would have loved to see the yellow lettering and stuff. This was more like a la Clone Wars, you know? Yeah, a little bit. But I still think it's fine. It's very Filoni. And it gives people context. If you haven't, if you don't know who Ahsoka is, let's set it up. Let's let's give some character names, and that way we can kind of hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. What did you think of this? Oh, I loved it. I think it brings Star Wars back to the Star Warsiness. I think it's a very George Lucas move. I really appreciate it because Dave Filoni has done that in his other projects as well. More so Clone Wars, I would say. But it's very him, and I think it's a good way to get people excited because to me it felt more like a Star Wars movie opening than a TV show opening. And for that reason, it got me really, really excited. I was like, oh, like yeah. back in the theater, Star Wars vibes. So, yeah, and also, so right after this, then you see the ship in space. Classic I Star that. Wars. That z- like zaps you into that world right away, and this is a testament to a lot of the things they did correctly in this episode. By the way, before we before we go any deeper, I just want to note I forgot to say this at the beginning. Sorry, I'm a little rusty, but this episode was written directed by Dave Filoni. Okay. That's episode done. two, which by the way, we'll treat both of these as kind of one episode. I think like we'll still do a scene by scene. Mm-hmm. The second episode was written by Dave Filoni, but it was directed by Steph Green. So, quick note there. Um, but the reason I mention that is very smart move with this opening scene, having the crawl and then having the ship. It sucks you into that world right away. And I think it was just an excellent opening scene. Like, we'll get into the scene by scene stuff, but I just, I loved this. I thought this was awesome. It built hype and it was very cinematic, you know? Well, also, you kick off the Star Warsy music immediately and it pulls everything together full circle. So not only do you have the opening crawl, but you also have the classic Star Wars ship like we've seen in A New Hope or Revenge of the Sith, which is also very, very typical Star Wars. And then you get that John Williams-esque musical cue that uh, kicks in right as the ship is pulling into the frame. It was just the perfect start. It was like, you know what's funny is it felt new. Because I feel like we haven't seen it in such a long while. I don't think any of the other Star Wars projects have really made an effort to do that. And I think that immediately separated this right off the bat. I totally. think they incorporated those three elements and did it perfectly. Yes. And I think it's also worth noting you mentioned the music, which, by the way, Kevin Kiner, I believe, is yes. the one who did this. Incredible job. I, just a shout out. And you and I are going to mention this throughout the A million times, breakdown. yeah highlight of these two episodes like mm. huge highlight the the musical cues were spot on so star warsy the themes for each character masterfully done it plays such a large part and you and i talk about it all the time on the show but it plays such a large part in your emotions and how you react to certain mm-hmm. scenes and characters and they crushed it they absolutely crushed it with this episode so i was very happy to to see that the music the ship the crawl it was just quintessentially Star Wars, which is needed and wanted, and you're right. It fe- felt like fresh and new, which was 
I don't know, amazing. And this is why Filoni should be at the helm. He knows what he's doing. The guy knows what to do to, to yeah. get all these things together. So to see that translated to live action from a character that he created, massive shout out to him and, and Kevin Kiner. Yeah, they make a great duo. And Kevin Kiner has been around for 15 plus years. He did the original Clone Wars movie. So this guy like has it in the bag. They are an it. ultimate. Yeah, he's an ultimate duo yeah. with Dave Filoni. Yeah. So I mean, we're gonna. I'm, that's not going to be the last time we mention it. There's a bunch yeah. of scenes in here that I, <laughs> I, I know. Like I'm going to go like, off. Awesome. Um, all right. So the episode opens with this transport traveling through space inside the bridge. A navigator droid informs Captain Hale that their ship is entering a different sector. She reports the unidentified starship is approaching the, ch- the transport. Also very Star Warsy. Mm-hmm. Captain requests the ships identify themselves, transmit clearance codes. Um, the comma officer reports the ship's crew are claiming to be Jedi here to see the prisoner, and they are transmitting an old Jedi signal. The captain decides to call their bluff and dispatches security to meet these so-called Jedi. As they approach the hangar, the captain leads some New Republic soldiers, including a Mon Calamari named Jackris, to confront the Jedi. The two cloaked figures exit the shuttle, and it reveals Balin Skull, uh, who thanks Hale for allowing them to board the ship. Hale says he's surprised to meet Jedi out here when he remarks their existence remains a mystery to most people. This is a long time after Jedi existed, so yeah. his skepticism is Valid. warranted. <laughs> yeah. uh, Hale does not buy this. He immediately calls their bluff and is like, calls him Imperial trash. And they push <laughs> their luck too That's really far. bold. <laughs> really bold, but I don't blame him. I don't blame him for this reaction in the slightest. Uh, Skull warns Hale that he's making a mistake, even though he's not. He called you out immediately. <laughs> And then he says they should have, uh, Hale says they should have surrendered when they had the chance and asks to scan them for identification. Uh, Skull offers to show their identification before monitoring for, to his, uh, motioning to his female apprentice, Shin, who I kept forgetting her name, but she's a baddie, uh, to she's attack the new, the, the new Republic soldiers with her red lightsaber. So they start attacking everybody. Um, Hale starts uh, using the force, or I'm sorry, he tries, tries to shoot Balin, but Balin uses the force to suspend his blaster, says, you were right about one thing, we are no Jedi, and then kills him with the red blaster. Um, so we have this great opening scene where they go to the bridge. They're like, hey, they, these intruders have ki- killed Captain Hale. Great action sequence here as they break through. They're cutting down people. There's like a hallway scene, very similar to Rogue One, like as Bale's going through. It was something from the, the trailer that we saw. They're cutting down everyone, um, and then they find uh, Morgan in, in this prison cell, they remove the restraints, and uh, uh, Elspeth thanks Skull for his word, saying, you're a man of your word, which I thought was very interesting, which I'd like to get back to, and reveals that Ahsoka Tano was the one who captured her and is seeking to find Grand Admiral Thrawn. Um, that's the first scene of the show, and I think it's amazing. I think it's such a good way to open the show. They did a really good job. It's very There's a bunch of similar Star Wars elements in here that I wanted to see if you picked up on. One, it's very Phantom Menace-esque. It's like the, yes. the dark side version of Phantom Menace opening scene. Yep, I was, I was literally really cool. just about to follow up with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then uh, he also has that same line. You were right about one thing. It's kind of like Phantom Menace when he's like, the negotiations were short. Were short. <laughs> <laughs> similar stuff there. Um, there was another, oh, the hallway scene from Rogue One. That was also something similar. It also felt like uh, um, it was just tense. Like, like he, uh, he, it was just, it wasn't corny, too corny. It wasn't too over yeah. the top. It felt very like dark and real. And you're like, it's so mysterious. They make this line, Balin makes uh, this line to Morgan and she's like, oh, you're a man of your word. And you're like, who is this guy? It just mm-hmm. sucks you in and you're like, okay, what's going on? 
you know? And I thought it was just a really, really good opener to the show. What did you think? It, it hooks you right away. I think I'm so sad because I knew that Ray Stevenson's character was going to be yeah. a primary focus of interest for me personally. And immediately he was. So every time he's on, like, in the frame now, I'm just sad. Dude, because I'm so I, sad. Oh, my gosh. I have a I have a very, very strong feeling that Ray Stevenson's character probably won't make it past the season anyway. That's just my instinct. Well, he can't. He can't. Really. And I don't really see, like, a, a big future for that character. But knowing that he's gone and this is, like, his last piece of work is really hard to watch so every it's time sad, like he's yeah. in a frame it's like you can't help but be a little bit sad because he's giving an amazing performance here he's giving yeah. a very nuanced uh kind of complex um interpretation of his character because you really get the sense that it, at least like i understood when the character first walks into the frame his intentions didn't seem to me like he wanted to kill anybody but if he had to he's going to yeah you know like he doesn't seem like he doesn't seem like an individual who's going to come in and be like, start cutting people down. But he's like, if you are in my way, I will remove you immediately. Yeah. No, they make you kind of root for him because the, mm -hmm. the, what's his name? Uh, uh, the captain is, is being Hale. a dick to them. And so yeah. you're kind of rooting for him, you know, and he's, you can tell he's showing restraint. Then he gets called out and he has no other choice. He's backed into a corner and he's the kind of guy who's like, I'll fight my way out. I don't care. And I the also, other thing about him is he sorry. just commands the screen. I thought yes. throughout both these episodes, you can tell, like, this is another reason why it's sad. Um, is he, we've seen him in shows, TV shows, and all that before, mm -hmm. but the way, like, the way he his character is in, in this show and the way he interpreted it, he just did such a good job that you can tell, like, there was so much potential for him later on as an actor. And I was just really impressed with him throughout the show. And I wish we would have actually seen more of him in these episodes. I couldn't get enough of, of this character. It's it's just very interesting and well done. And there was a mystery here and there's a creative there's a creativity behind them. You know, like a these we don't know, are they Sith? Like what are they? I don't There's a lot Jedi, of you know mystery and intrigue behind them, lifting and them his, up. His uh chemistry with Shin. Yeah. Really cool. So I also uh, like she's very much a Spartan brand Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, I actually I, I watched the first two episodes with dad and dad's like, who is she? Scarlett Johansson Jr. <laughs> so yeah. that it is kind of funny. She's also got like a I shop at Hot Topic kind of vibes. Oh, but dude, I like totally. the character. I think she's I think she's very understated next to Balin because the impression that I get is that Balin is very calm and masterful and he is the the planner, whereas Shin is the executioner. You know, he gives mm. her an order and she carries it out. She doesn't question it. Yeah. And I really, really like that dynamic so far. It feels, again, it feels very new and fresh. Yeah. So excellent opening scene here. I thought it was just fantastic. Like, so good. Then we get to the next scene. Meanwhile, we see Ahsoka Tano for the first time searching some ruins on Arcana. Right? She approaches a circle in the middle of this court courtyard, uses her cool little force trick with her two lightsabers to cut a perfect hole and go Zip. below. Very Ind Indiana Jones vibes here as uh, she's so. making her way through this cylindrical structure, finds the golden snitch from Harry Potter, which I thought was <laughs> You mean the map here. from Treasure Planet? Yeah, the map from Treasure Planet. <laughs> yeah, it's dude. Totally... Dude, You're the right. second she pulled that out, I was like, this is the map from Treasure Planet. And when they yeah. unlock the map later, it looks even more like the map from Treasure Planet. 
It's right. craziness. And I saw a bunch of people commenting on that too on Twitter. They were posting scenes from Treasure Planet. And they were like, is this not exactly what happened? So I just, yeah. I found that funny. You're right. And it, um, my one complaint, I just thought there was a couple scenes in the show that I think it, were like, okay, we get what they're doing. Let's, let's go. <laughs> like, Pick it up a little bit. Yeah. And this, this was one where I'm like, you started off so strong. Let's keep it going, especially with the nature of what happens throughout the rest of the scene, which, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Um, she uh, informs uh, her little droid, Hu Yang, who, by the way, I want to get to that real quick. Um, that she she goes to Hu Yang, says she finds the object via comlink, but his comlink's being jammed. I'll get to the Hu Yang thing in a second. Um, she returns to the, to the surface where she's confronted by the assassin droids. Um, she's surrounded by five of them, and she has to fight them. Uh, dons her her two lightsabers in self defense and, and and starts fighting them. These droids, the sound design for their voice, so cool. Yeah. Like, so cool. The practical effects here, the sweeping landscape shots, like, this is what, this is the kind of stuff I wanted in Obi-Wan. I wanted mm-hmm. more of this in, in Mando and Book of Boba Fett. Like, I just thought, you feel like you're on these worlds more. And I mm-hmm. think it was just, it was just more immersive. And I think these this scene was really it was, an, it was another cool scene, cool introduction to the character. If you don't know who Ahsoka is, I think this was a good, this is a pretty good introduction to her, I'd say, especially with the opening yeah. call. It's it's still kind of mysterious. We're like, what's she looking for? You're still interested in, you know, what's going on. So It doesn't look like she's on a set. I feel like so much of Obi-Wan and maybe not as much in Boba Fett, but definitely in Mandalorian season three, you can tell they're on sets. You can tell that they are in front of the volume. I was really worried that this scene where she's going through the runes of the Dathomir temple and when she's jumping down that it was really going to feel like she was standing in front of the volume. I didn't feel that way at all. Mm. I really no, I felt like either. it was a big, expansive in- environment that she was walking through. It really felt like she yeah. was on a planet and that really changes your perception of the episode. You believe it a lot more. So I really appreciated yeah. that. On top of that, I don't know how you feel about this, but I you can totally tell that they have really touched up, you know, Rosario's makeup for Ahsoka. And in this entire sequence, I just saw Ahsoka. I did not see Rosario. You know, her mannerisms, the way she was walking, you can really tell that Rosario studied the animated series, Ahsoka. You can tell that she pays attention to her mannerisms. And this is not only something in this scene, but throughout episodes one and two. The way she moves, the way she does specific hand movements, the way she walks, the expression, she makes a specific expression when she's fighting the droids. She holds a pose and then she looks at them and she's like, it's kind of a sarcastic look that she like makes at the droid before she hits them again. Uh, A lot of it just felt very, very Ahsoka even more so than the first two times that we saw her in Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett. So I really appreciated that because that tells me that she's actually really been paying attention to Mm -hmm. the mannerisms and the presentation of the character. I have a couple qualms when it comes to her interpretation so far, but I think for the most part, she's really making an effort to understand it and present that. And as a Clone Wars and Rebels fan, I really appreciate that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I agree for the most part. There's a couple scenes where I'm having a tough time differentiating between Ahsoka and Rosario, which we can get to later on. But I agree for the most part they have helped it out a lot, and I think a lot of that's Filoni, who's like, you know, her cool hat is like a little different. Her makeup is a little bit more uh, well done. You're right, the facial expressions, the movements, very intentional 
you know? And I think sometimes, like, maybe this is what it is for me. There were some scenes where, like, maybe it was too intentional, if that makes sense, where, like, I almost saw through it a little bit, but we can get to that later. All right, so then she beats these droids in the fight, cuts one of their heads off, and the lead droid says, initiate self-destruct. So she has to run away. She contacts Hu Yang, which tells her that the shuttle's above her position. She starts running away, and they they blow up. Now, this part's a little weird to me. To be honest. Sorry, nitpick Matt's going to come real quick. The explosion <laughs> from these droids is like nuclear, like the little bomb. Nuclear. The biggest explosion I've ever seen from such a tiny little bomb. It just decimates the whole planet. Like, it's crazy how big this explosion was as she reaches the ship just in time. Um, I just thought that was kind of funny. Like, okay, that was a massive explosion. That these well, I watched I watched your reaction video and I was cracking up because right after the explosion happens, she turns around, she runs, and you went, ooh, you need to work on your running form or whatever <laughs> you said. Yeah. And it made me laugh so hard. And yeah. then as we wa- I watched her throughout like the remaining episodes, I kept thinking of that. It's not like a qualm I have. It just cracked me up. Yeah. yeah. Rosario needs some running form uh, lessons. Uh, <laughs> so inside the cockpit, she talks with Hu Yang about their communication difficulty. Um, he's saying he kept their ship at a safe distance. According with Jedi protocol, she's like, well, the Jedi doesn't exist anymore. And he's like, well, uh, it's my programming. And uh, she says, you have to stick close with me, watch my back. He says that that's the job of a Padawan, which he is not, uh, which I liked that line a lot. Very Star Wars-y line there. I thought that was yeah. fantastic. And then uh, she tells Hu Yang that she found the map, and he asks how she got uh, Elspeth to tell the truth, and she replies that she wasn't following Jedi protocol. Interesting there. So maybe she used some mm. mind tricks on her or something like that. But uh, I think that was an interesting line. Now, Hu Yang, this is what I want to get to. I love this mm-hmm. guy. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> one, of the, one of the great things about Star Wars, in my opinion, is the droids. I, it might be a stupid thing to like, but they are such a big part of the world. And like mm-hmm. R2-D2 and C-3PO, that's a huge part of my memory of Star Wars as a kid. It was such a unique, weird, crazy thing. That's why I loved the. That's why I got sucked into the universe to begin with, was the creativity behind it. And the droids are such a big part of it. And you see people like, you know, BB-8 is one of the best parts of the sequels, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the sound design for it, the creativity behind it, the, the protocol droids, the droids that we see in Jabba's palace that are getting, like, tortured and stuff, the gonk droid, B, uh, BD-1 from Jedi Survivor Fallen Order. He's mm. one of the best parts of the game. He's, he adds so much to the show. The repair droids from Phantom Menace and, like, like uh, I don't know, droids have a – and they all have unique personalities. What's the one from Rogue One? Uh, I forget. I always forget his name. The, oh, the God. security I, droid. I, I, G, oh, God. Oh my God! This is and gonna the one drive from me Mando. insane. The one from Mando, like all these droids. Someone can make it in the comments. So we, we suck at re- remembering things sometimes, and that's what's happening that, now. That's but, gonna um, bother me. I'm gonna try to well, focus we, on that. I don't want to look it up. Uh, okay, but uh, I just think he, the voice acting here is David Tennant, right? Yes, the Doctor. Yeah. Dude, okay. So for someone who hasn't seen Rebels, <laughs> I know this is a character from Rebels, but like Clone this Wars. guy, this yeah, uh, this character. Um, this droid character throughout both episodes. I think he had so much. The the sound design on the voice. I'm just I'm a sound dork. I love different like I love the creativity behind it. I love yeah. like if you ever get a chance to watch the documentary on the sounds of Star Wars, it's awesome. Like how they came up with blaster sounds and all that stuff. Just the way this character is presented, I think, is flawless. Like he looks real. Um, the voice yeah, acting is awesome. The the, the, the way the character is written, amazing. So good. So I just have to say that like. I, I, this is one this is one of the standouts to me throughout the show is like the introduction of the character, what he adds. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting just on the topic of 
it's Hugh Huyang. I don't know. The way Rosario was pronouncing the name really confused me because I thought it was Huyang, but she says Huyang, and Huyang. it's con- it's just yeah. confusing me. Anyway, the the thing I really like about bringing this character into Ahsoka is a he is applicable to how Ahsoka is figuring things out across the series, like in regards to the lightsabers, because he's a lightsabers expert and he's helped them forge he's helped jedi forge lightsabers for over a thousand years but in terms of the character the thing that i just really love about this is a i think hewing is applicable to the show in terms of plot he's helpful to ahsoka he provides very funny commentary in regards to both sabine and ahsoka and their dynamic with each other but also i just find it really funny that david tennant who is extremely beloved as an actor he voiced this niche character once won an Emmy for it in 2012, went for like 12, 13 years without touching the character, and then he just comes back. So I always thought that that was kind of funny because it's not like he spent like a a long amount of time doing things for this character. He just did it once, and then everybody freaked out over it. He got awards for it, and then he comes back years later in like the year that he's making a resurgent as an actor, like Good Omens, Doctor Who a variety of other smaller roles, but he's just had like a big comeback this year. And I just find it funny that Hewing is like an additional in that list. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. You love to see it. Uh, it it's king shit. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. It's an awesome character. Um, so uh, there's a celebration. Oh, I'm sorry. Tano tells Hu Yang, Hu Yang, whatever. I'm probably butchering the name. Sorry to scan the lightsabers. She wants to look at the map, but she needs the key to activate the map and neither of them know how to, approach it so we go to lothal this is a funny scene it felt very clone warsy here like it yeah felt, you know what i mean like this which yeah. I, I like i think it's cool like this kind of was and a lot of people have said this it's just like a season six of of rebels right but you could see dave filoni's touch on this throughout mm-hmm. in so many different areas and also just mentioning real quick in that last scene musical themes we saw here i think hera i think we, we hear her musical theme a little bit mm-hmm. when she's introduced which i don't know that character well and then during this scene it's like it that also added to like the clone wars feel you know <laughs> it this, felt there's so scene. many prequely vibes in this dude like the the big band music that comes over lethal when we see it for the first time it's so prequely <laughs> but yeah. i love it it's perfect yeah no i thought i thought it was awesome so we see writer Azad Azadi giving a speech he says that one of the heroes sabine wren would like to say a few words she does know where to be found so he tells this guy, hey, can you speak to the crowd? I got to go figure out what's going on. I believe that guy's the voice for Squidward from SpongeBob SquarePants. I don't know where I recognized him no, before. No, he's from... uh, Mr. Krabs. Mr. Krabs. Yeah, I knew he was from SpongeBob. But he's also been in other stuff. I'd have to look up the actor. But he seems well cast. Also, the casting for the show, just real quick note, I think across the board, like, I don't have any complaints with any of the casting choices whatsoever. I haven't seen Rebels, so I don't know. And maybe we can talk about that a little later. But I think the casting for this has just been on point. Like, everyone seems like the character they're supposed to be Mm -hmm. and nothing feels nothing felt forced you know Mm -hmm. what i mean clancy Um, brown has been in a lot of animated projects the character that he's playing Ryder azadi is the governor of lothal and he was a prominent character in season four of rebels uh to jump a little bit ahead of you the senator that he introduces yeah uh the senator that he introduces is jai kel which is another character from season one of rebels that Ezra was at the Imperial Academy with, and he escaped with him. So it was like a niche little cameo from that character. But what was funny Mm. is I recognized him immediately, and I was shocked I even remembered that because that character was so minuscule 
in season one. Like, he did not have a major part. But I was like, that's that's Jaikel from that one Imperial arc in season one of Rebels. Dude, your memory is crazy. The fact you can <laughs> I, remember all this. I, I was shocked, dude. And I was like, he was played by Dante Bosco. Like, <laughs> I could not believe that I remembered it. But anyway, you had a thought. Sorry, go ahead. Uh uh, the guy's name you just said, the guy who plays the governor, uh, Clancy Brown, Shawshank Redemption is what he's from. Yes. That's where I yes. recognize him from. He's the guard in Shawshank Redemption. He just looks way older. That's why I was having a tough time uh, recalling mm-hmm. it. So anyways, he wants Sabine Ren to, to talk. She's not here. Then we get the introduction to this character, uh, riding a speeder <laughs> bike, listening to like rock and roll music. No, no, Beastie Boys. It was Beastie, Beastie Boys Sabotage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was Star Wars Beastie Boys Sabotage. Um I don't know. I didn't love this introduction, to be honest, to the character. I felt like this was really forced. I get what they're trying to do. You're trying to establish her as like a no-nonsense, I don't play by the rules thing. But like, it just felt very tropey. Like, a lot of stuff they did with Sabine in in both these episodes felt very tropey. I still think it communicates who the character is. I just think they maybe have done it in a less like telegraphed way. Mm. Um, the music was cool. Like I like how they do the Star Wars music thing. I just think it felt a little weird, like weird to me. <laughs> and, and, like it's like I don't take no shit. Also rude, dude. They asked you to speak at this event and you just blow it off. Like what are you doing? Yeah, I I, I don't know. Like I'm looking at the character. And I'm like, oh, what an asshole. Like, you were supposed to speak at this thing. They're trying to like honor you, and you're just like, nah. I don't play by the rules. I ride my motorbike thing, and I listen to the Beastie Boys. <laughs> it's a little bit Top Gunny too, if we're being honest. It's a bit Maverick of her, you know, like yeah. riding the motorcycle speeder thing super yeah. fast, and then she ends up going past the uh, Republic yeah. ships, ships underneath. So I, I, I totally hear you. It's extremely tropey. The the music was extremely jarring for me upon the first watch. I was like, ooh, I don't know if that works. And then I watched it the third time and I was like, all right, this is fine. I'm not, this isn't ruining it for me. But there were a couple things about Sabine in these episodes that were not quite there for me. I think as a whole, Natasha Bordizio, whose birthday it is today. So happy birthday to her. Uh, she the the core of the character is there there was just some things that i was like that felt like a weird choice but i hear you it's it's definitely extremely tropey and i think it might have come on maybe a bit too strong yeah and these these are tough scenes to do by the way because i understand mm-hmm. what they're doing you're introducing a new character and you you have to express it without saying too much they're they're showing not telling which is mm-hmm. a hard thing to do for a brand new character and you're trying to show who that person is now it still accomplished that goal in my opinion mm-hmm. i just think it was a little too on the nose. I think one of the best introductions to a character of all time is Ken from Kendall from Succession. I know you may not have watched that yet. Mm-hmm. It's one of the best shows ever. In the first scene, they just establish who this guy is by he's trying to get a business deal done with this guy. And you can tell he's just not he's not a killer. He's not like a he doesn't have those business instincts to get something done. And you can tell he's a little awkward and he's forcing it. But they just do such a good job of telling you everything you need to know about this guy in a two minute scene in a five minute scene um so it's a hard thing to do i think but um it doesn't again doesn't ruin the show for me at all i just it was just like i'm watching it i'm like i'm just kind of like Ugh. and uh, <laughs> uh she like rides past the the Rep- new republic guys They're like don't do it and she just speeds past them and runs away and i'm like why are you running away from the speech i don't get it anyways doesn't matter like <laughs> so minor <laughs> but it's like yeah <laughs> yeah yeah funny um, so then she goes to her little communications tower. Also, they do a little uh, Star Wars screen wipe. The transitions in this 
dude, they matter. You and I have talked <laughs> yeah, about this in so do. many shows. Those Star Wars transitions, the PowerPoint presentation <laughs> transitions, they matter, dude. They look awesome. It's so Star Warsy to do that. And they did that with a couple of the scenes here. Like, And it mm-hmm. just reminds you that that's the world you're in. And I loved that. Um, so they get her back to her communications tower. She has her little like pet cat thing. The, what are they called? Uh, loth cats. Loth cats. Um, really good practical effects on this. If it is practical, if it's not, I don't know. Like just so well done uh, in terms of very muppety the, the effects for this. Yeah, very muppety. A hundred. I really liked it. It's so Star Warsy yeah. when they have those those normal muppety effects. I, I don't know. It yeah. takes me more in as opposed to if it's CGI. Now they did use some CGI for the movement of the Loth cat that was a little bit more complex than just puppetry, but mm-hmm. I didn't mind. It made sense to no. blend both of those. This was really cool. Uh, very good attention to detail. I love that. And I think that deserves a, a shout out. Um, she's going through a stop. She sees this recording of Ezra Bridger, who they've name dropped a couple times at this point. And this might, uh, I'll, actually, I'll get to my thought after this. So they, they, she has this little recording thing. She's going through her stuff and she plays this little message she has from Ezra, who just like, he does, the, he uses the content of the message to just friend zone her, <laughs> like make it abundantly clear they're just friends and nothing more. Which that, I thought was kind of funny. I have thoughts He's to like, share I love on you. That, dude. I love you like a sister. We're like family. But then it's but like, a, I love you like a sister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, I don't know, dude, if you watch Star Wars Rebels, you can never really tell what the true nature of their relationship actually is. Because yeah. in the first season, they explicitly show you that Ezra has a crush on her. Mm. That he's yeah, so, okay so this is a question i had for you as we get to not context rebel stuff i don't think this was communicated great in this scene for yeah. someone who hasn't watched that show i was left a little confused as to who ezra is like i know who he is but like if i if i'm a complete virgin mm-hmm. to anything rebels i don't think they did a really good job and obviously we know he's like kind of missing but it was kind of like a weird there's some weird dialogue there, but it wasn't super clear of like what they were. Like, did he have a crush on her, or like, did they date? Well, not because he friend zoned her <laughs> immediately. Yeah, immediately, like, but she on? was also she was also gazing very romantically at him. So, it, like, so, so what are they? So, explain to me. What's so, the deal? in in season one, they are very explicit about the fact that he has a crush on her, and she does not really reciprocate obviously when the show starts Ezra is 14 Sabine is 16 it is a very hormonal teenagery thing as the show progresses the two of them get really really close Sabine is trained by Kanan in a similar way that Ezra was trained by Kanan so they kind of bond over that and then by the time you get to the end of the series these two have a very strong bond so when Ezra makes the decision to sacrifice himself he counts on Sabine to distract everybody so he can do it and kind of drops like a very vague hint about, hey, come find me when this is done. So in yeah. this way, like she feels like she owes this to him to go get mm. him. But the weird thing is that I need to bring up right now is the fact that the timeline of this is very strange to me, which I hope they dive into this. Rebels takes place right before A New Hope. So when the show starts, it's about four years before A New Hope. And when the show ends, it's like, one year before A New Hope happens. So in the time that the original trilogy takes place, that's probably about mm, four years, right? I think over the original trilogy. If Rebels takes place over a four-year period, you're adding another four years on uh, top of that. So four plus four is eight. 
and then eight plus five, which would be the five years after Return of the Jedi, which is when The Mandalorian takes place, and it's the same mm-hmm. timeline that Ahsoka takes place. Okay. We're talking like close years. to like 15 years. Oh, okay. So that was my next question for you, actually, <laughs> because we kind of, the, the last scene when they're in on Lothal or whatever and they're talking, they're like, it's been many years since we defeated the Empire. And you're like, okay, be more vague. Like, what, yeah. What's the timing here? That, I thought that was kind of like, they were just so unspecific about it. So it's, I'm still, and again, I don't know if I'm entirely correct. So guys, if I'm wrong, feel free to jump in the comments and correct me on this. But I'm pretty sure it's, if you take the four years that Rebels took place, you add the four years, no, excuse me, I'm going to retract. The original trilogy probably took place over three years, I think. Right? Is that safe to say? Let's do the math more than that. Let's let's Google How long? Um, How long uh, between A New Hope? And Return of the Jedi, three years. Yeah, you're right. Three okay, years. so that would be no, four no, years. It, of... No, that's that's in the Empire Strikes Back. What? So only four years past total. So the three years between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, and okay. then another year to Return of the Jedi. Okay, so four plus four is eight years. If Ahsoka takes place five years after Return of the Jedi, which it does, that's eight. That's nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen years ago. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. I'm misspeaking right now. I'm getting totally confused. We got to start from the end of Rebels. So if we start from the end of Rebels, which is when Ezra disappears, he's gone for nine years. It would be nine. Okay, so, all right, that makes sense then. So that's a long time. That's a long time. So now I'm confused. So what could they, they just... be? Okay, so I asked this in the second episode during my reaction. <laughs> what is, where could they possibly be? Are they like lost? Are they in a prison somewhere? Like Thrawn I... and Ezra is what I'm talking about. Like, They're what's... in another galaxy. Because if you look at the map. When Do they, they not unlock... have ships in that galaxy? <laughs> when they unlock the map, it's like, we'll get to this. But Morgan Elsbeth says they are trapped across time and space. So it's not just like we're if we're in one galaxy here, you know, like the concept of black holes in our universe, whatever. Oh, God. You'd it. have to jump through a black hole to get to another universe. Ezra and Thrawn are in another universe like they're in another galaxy. Mm. So there's an entirely separate galaxy that they got banished to across time and space. But how could there be a map to it? That's another thing that I'm like, <laughs> why are there so many maps to places so like who who came up with the concept of a map to Luke Skywalker in the sequel trilogy? Did yeah. like Luke just leave that for people? I don't know. The concept of maps maybe the I don't know the the Morgan is like a Dathomir night sister or whatever, so she probably has some magic that she can do. So I'm willing to suspend <laughs> disbelief for that. So, but also, by the way, <laughs> I'm just remembering now. Uh, weren't they supposed to be wiped out the night sisters by? by uh, Grievous. So I guess that's another one. Yeah, but I guess missed, not all the night I guess like much like Order 66, all the night sisters survived. <laughs> they're still they're still around. No, um but to answer your question in short regarding Ezra, I believe the correct sorry, I was thinking previously from the beginning of Rebels to where we are now 5 years after Return of the Jedi, which is closer to 15 years. I think Ezra and Thrawn have been missing for 9 years. I think that's correct. Wow. Which is still okay. weird, but yeah, that whatever. wasn't communicated very clearly, yeah. and here we are, kind of like confused about it. That was so. That was a point that I was kind of like, also, I don't really know what's going on with that. You know, also, I know, I get they have a map and they're looking for this guy, but dude, you know. that would make Sabine like thirty. Oh wow! 
Yeah, I guess so. She doesn't seem like it. She seems like she's like 25. Because she acts like she's a teenager. <laughs> that is that is part of the interpretation of the character that I did not love is the fact that she's supposed to be, I believe, a 30-year-old woman and she's acting the way that she is. Skipping like, I get it. Speeches. It makes sense. It makes sense given her character in Rebels if she was a little bit younger. But, dude, you're pushing 30 and you're acting like that. I don't know. All right, so moving on then. She's chilling at her place. We go to Arcana. And we see Balin and this Inquisitor named uh, Merak. Merak? I, I don't know how to pronounce that. Interesting Maroc. character. Definitely some medieval inspiration drawn here. He looks like kind of like a medieval knight, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, kind of like a... I mean, he's an Inquisitor, right? So we see him. Maybe he's one of the last Inquisitors. Yeah, so we see them with Shin and Morgan Elsbeth in the destroyed ruins. They're looking for the map. They don't find it. And then Morgan sends, uh, uh, what's her name, Shin to Lothal to retrieve the map. And Balin, again, commanding this scene. I thought all the scenes and the music with, with these bad guys was, like, so good. Perfect. <laughs> it, was, it was so good. And he's like, you're looking for Sabine. So, again, more intrigue with him. We're like, how do you know that much? Like, how do you know what's going on? Who is this guy? You know? Mm-hmm. Which... I don't think we're supposed to know yet, but it's still like a really, he's just really intriguing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, and he's very, he just commanding. So I thought that was really cool. So they sent her to go get uh, Sabine. I also, this is going to sound ki- kind of out of left field maybe, but I actually appreciate that she is an apprentice who listens to her master and she's like, okay. Like she doesn't question him. She looks to him for guidance and he's like, yeah, go do the thing. And mm-hmm. she doesn't try to stand up to him or be like, no, why are we doing that? She questions no, she's kind things, of a, yeah. but she's obedient. And yeah. I really like that. I think that makes her more intimidating and more formidable because she listens to her master. Yeah. And I think that's cool. She's understated. I was just going to say that. She's understated and um, she doesn't overdo it. Whoever this actress is, I forget her name. Very good. Very Ivana good. Ivana something. She's great. I like her yeah. a lot. Um, and then, okay, moving on next scene, we go to, um, back to Sabine. She meets up with Ahsoka. Another question for you here, cause there's some like tension between them. Cause from what I understand, Sabine used to be Ahsoka's apprentice, I guess. Dude, this is a new concept to Rebels fans. Everybody okay. who has watched Rebels is like, where did this come from? <laughs> yeah. So I, I thought this was a little weird. They meet up and then she, the, the guy, the governor's like, where were you? And she's like, oh, did I miss that? And again, I'm like, you jerk. He invited you to come speak at a thing, and you just left. Like, I I don't know. It made me not like her a little bit in this scene. Fair. And then there's this weird tension between Ahsoka and her, and I don't really get what that was. Was that supposed to be the feeling there, or I don't I don't know. I don't know, because, again, this relationship between Ahsoka and Sabine as Master and Apprentice previously is completely new to people who have watched Rebels. There was nothing implied about it. Now, again, nine years have passed since rebels ended that leaves a lot of space for untold stories so i'm so, okay so maybe it's concept. intentional yeah, yeah. So maybe, maybe we maybe we're not supposed to know yet okay yeah fine i just didn't know if maybe this was something from the show that i missed you know Mm-mm. this is completely so they go new. back to our ship and there's definitely tension in the air as they're like kind of catching up talking on the ship ahsoka's asking for help on like deciphering the map and sabine's like yeah can i take it with me and she's like no obviously not i almost got blown up for this <laughs> <laughs> valid need it yeah um, and then she goes into the other room with Hu Yang, and he's showing her these uh, the lightsaber match that he did. They come to the conclusion Balin was yet another Jedi who survived Order 66, and we don't know who Shin is. We don't know who this chick is, where she came from, where he found her. 
Um, she is force sensitive. So. So let me ask you a question about yeah. this. Who do you think Shin is? Because she cannot be older than 20 or 25, which is the amount of time that it's been since the Clone Wars. So she would she would have had to been born during the end of the Clone Wars or maybe a little bit beforehand or maybe a little bit after. So I seen a theory going around where she could have possibly be Balin's daughter. I've seen that theory going around. What do you, what do you think about that? Because her age doesn't she could not have been a Jedi given her age. Mm. She just couldn't have been. Yeah, I don't know. Um, that's a good question. I think the theory of being his daughter is a, a reasonable one. She also could have been, you know, maybe he just found someone who was force sensitive in his travels. We don't know anything about him, so it's too hard mm. to speculate right now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't really know. It's still fun to um, take a guess, though. I mean, that'd be kind of cool if it was his daughter. Yeah, that's a good concept. Mm. He is very fatherlike to her, so it wouldn't mm-hmm. surprise me. Um. But, uh, yeah, so uh, we go to this next scene. Oh, I'm sorry. After they go out from the lightsaber thing, we see Sabine is left with the snitch from Harry Potter. Wow, shocking. She runs off with it. I'm like, why'd you leave her alone with it? She was obviously going to do that. And then we get one of my favorite scenes in this episode, which is we see Shin, very Darth Maul-esque from Phantom Menace, standing in the corner. Music here is phenomenal. The music was just awesome. Two droids. (laughs) scouting out trying to find Sabine in that awesome ship they have. I thought this was just like so dope. What she was think? doing her best Darth Maul there. It was so good, dude, and the parallels were very obvious. Somebody took that scene and they compared it with the scene from The Phantom Menace and it matches up shot for shot. It's a direct callback, which yeah. I just think is amazing. It's so cool. Also, That's side really cool. note, I I think it's interesting too that Balin and Shin are dressed uh, well, Balin's more black, but Shin's dressed in a lot of browns, which is not very Sith like i think there's more of a tendency on the dark side of the force for both of those characters but i don't think they're completely committed as shown in like their no. lightsaber color but i also think their outfits reflect that a little bit too yeah they're awesome they're unique it's creative whatever they are good it seems fresh and new it's not mm-hmm. the typical stuff we're used to so i don't know i love dude i love that that scene and like they just made her look badass they weren't trying mm-hmm. too hard i think something that we can do is you want the creators of shows want someone to be a badass so bad that you force it on the viewer mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel natural. This felt very natural. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It was, it flowed very nicely. We go to Sabine's apartment. She's hit, sitting there trying to figure it out. I thought this scene was a little drawn out to be honest. Uh, yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. Chilling out there trying to figure out what's going on with her little cat. And then we see Ahsoka talking with Hera for a little bit. This was kind of snooze fest where they're like talking and, it just kind of lost my interest a little bit. It also felt a little dense. They're talking about like how Ahsoka walked away from Sabine and I, I felt kind of out of the loop. Like I didn't really know what was going on there. I don't know that anybody was supposed to, but I really, this is something that I'm anxious about. I really hope they touch on this in the series because there seemed to be a lot of regret in Ahsoka's tone where she was like, I walked away from Anakin. He never got to finish my training and I walked away from Sabine. So the question that I have is, is Ahsoka walking away because she's afraid of a similar outcome like with Anakin. Is that why she left her? Is because she was afraid that she was going to fail as a master or that her apprentice would disappoint her? I think there's a lot to unpack there. Because if you notice too in The Mandalorian, she also was like, no, Din, I'm not going to train Grogu. Yeah. Which was very interesting to me. So I hope they don't drop that. I want them to delve into that and maybe her complex emotions over what happened with Anakin. Because she knows at this point, she finds out in Rebels that Vader is Anakin. 
And she knows that Luke Skywalker is Anakin's son. So I really want to dig into those emotions more. Like, show me yeah, more I think on we will. that. I think we will. So, I think right now this first episode, the first two are just setting up the overarching mm-hmm. plot, which I think they did a good job of that, generally speaking. Um, but this scene, not not a ton to discuss there, in my opinion. Um, and then Rita Sabine figures out the map. Of course, the bad guys come and attack. So she tells Hu Yang she needs support, um, goes inside, finds her lightsaber, comes down, and Shin is down there, ignites her lightsaber, and they start fighting. This is the last scene of the show. We see them in this lightsaber fight. At the end of it, we all know what happens. Sabine ends up getting bested by Shin, who seems to be a much better fighter, more trained, more with it. Not surprising. She's more advanced, which is a shocking way to end the episode. But I have a couple problems with this. Number one, I just, the fight choreography was, it just was too telegraphed. It was too, one, two, three. And then, like, the moment where she falls on the ground on her hands, like, on the ground back there. And she's, yeah. Like, holding the lightsaber up. I was just, like, uh, it just it didn't feel natural. You know, there's a lot of elements and a lot of beats in this episode that felt very natural. And this, I don't think this was one of them. Um, it just didn't click in the way I would have liked it to. It was still pretty good. But it just wasn't as intense. What's the word I'm looking for? Like, raw. You Engaging? know, you feel like... the. Well, no, like just the, the the fighting style, you'd feel like they'd both be a little bit uh, like Kylo Ren-esque, you know, like yeah. unpolished, like in the way they fight. And it just felt too like we're spoiled by prequel lightsaber fights, in my opinion. I think you know? so. I think so, too. But I also feel like their fighting style is going to be a little bit more rigid because they are not Jedi. I mean, Sabine. But no, I want so. I wanted to be I wanted it to be more like fierce. And rigid, yeah, yeah. A, know, bit, a little bit more feelings. like throwing punches like. Kylo Ren and Ray's fight in The Force Awakens, maybe? Yes. Maybe a little bit more like that? Yes. Yeah, like they're and, throwing um, punches. Yeah, I just, I didn't, I didn't love the, the fighting here. Um, I thought it was, it was fine. It was good. And it was a good way to end the episode, I thought, with her getting stabbed. Although, not really, because in the thumbnail of the next episode, she's in it. Like, Sabine's in it. So you're like, okay, well. <laughs> I, I also, my biggest issue with this is I really, 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 really feel like they're taking away... They're devaluing lightsabers here. And I know that's going to sound, maybe that's not the best way to put it, but like how many times has somebody been stabbed at this point and not died from a lightsaber wound? It's we so annoying. Qui-Gon is rolling in his force ghost He is grave. clowning right now. But like in The Phantom Menace, it's a, it's a big moment. He is stabbed and he dies pretty quick. And I know that there are going to be some people, well, he didn't, he didn't have health care. <laughs> He didn't yeah. have the nobody could get him to healthcare right away. Okay, fine. I just feel like it's diminishing the impact of what a lightsaber is capable of. I agree. Which is and they, probably they, a better way to put too, it. They just they've done it too many times. They do it with the Inquisitor. They they've done it with this chick now. Like or Reva, the Reva thing drove me crazy. Reva she one gets is, she gets stabbed through the stomach twice and lives both times. Yeah, it's it's like it does. Uh, it's not impactful, dude. What would have been more impactful? And I think they did this great in episode two. Actually, is when. Dooku cuts off Anakin's arm and forces him away. Mm-hmm. Um, that would have been better. They they cut off her. He, this chick cuts off her arm or something like that or, or injures her, scrapes her across the face or something. I don't know. And I know that's kind of tropey too, but I would have preferred that, I think, to her getting full-on stabbed because now you've, you've had this big moment where she gets stabbed and you're like, oh, no. And then the next episode starts and you're like, oh, she's fine. Immediately. Immediately she's fine. And well, there need to be consequences. Me. There need to be consequences to her yeah, race fighting. It. Like she you've definitely – she definitely needed to get hurt 
She definitely yeah. needed to get injured. That's a very important part of the character because she sucks with the lightsaber and she's clearly not in control of her emotions and she rushes into something that she's clearly not ready for. It would have been so impactful had Shin given her an injury that's kind of a mark of that unpreparedness. It maybe kind of serves as a reminder yeah. throughout the entire series. Like one thing I do like about the Kylo Ren and Rey fight in The Force Awakens is the fact that Rey cuts his face. Mm-hmm. I do kind but of. He like also that. like he's so fierce and like yeah with his movements. He's just better than her, and I think that would have been better portrayed here too. Where like if Shin just absolutely overwhelmed Sabine to a point yeah. where like then she ends her turn, she's about to come down, and then maybe maybe there's a Deus Ex maybe. Machina moment where someone comes down and like stops it from actually happening, and Sabine's just sitting there like, oh, I just got demolished. I'm lucky I walked away from that alive. You know what well, I mean? Instead Ahsoka, of getting stabbed, Ahsoka could have force pushed. Shin away and then Shin could have got maybe the droids overwhelmed Ahsoka and then Shin got away there just could have been a million other ways that could have made it more impactful but I I, I don't know I just found myself being like ah that's a little bit stereotypical Eh." you know it was probably the least interesting route that they could have taken anyway the music ends here (laughs) the end music ends here Uh, end of episode so let's just jump into the second one too because this is essentially Mm -hmm. One episode. Good way to end it. I was surprised if you haven't seen my reaction. That actually genuinely did surprise me. But it, it's ruined by the the first two minutes of the first episode. Mm-hmm. We open up with Ahsoka looking over Sabine as she's just recovering from the lightsaber room. She's fine. She's in the hospital room. No big deal. Um, she had healthcare. She had good so yeah, she, healthcare. She's totally fine. She had a good HMO plan. Um, <laughs> Sabine mentions that she opened the map, saw two connected galaxies, and beat one of the droids that attacked her. So Ahsoka gets an idea, leaves to investigate. Uh, so she goes something to the home. Go ahead. The the map uh, being open, just real quick. I don't know if I commented on this. You know how everybody was theorizing that the Ahsoka logo is the world between worlds. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not that. It's the it's the map to Thrawn because if you look at the end credits too, the the glow that goes throughout the end credits are hopping from planet to planet that make the map. Yeah. To Thrawn. Okay. I actually did see some stuff about that. I I think we're still going to see the world between worlds. I think that's still going to be a prominent player in this show, but that's just something I wanted to call out real quick. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it took her most of the season to get to Thrawn. Which it I probably, think would be fine. Well, yeah. I think would be fine. Let's not rush it. Mm-hmm. Tell the story the way it needs to be told, however quickly or slowly it needs to be told. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ahsoka goes back to Sabine's home at Lothal. Uh, she is greeted by the Lothcat, and she's jumped by another assassin droid from the previous night. Ahsoka makes quick work of it. They go back to the hospital to try to extract the droid's memory. Um, the droid begins to overheat and explode. Hu Yang panics and shuts down the droid's head, but they get the information they need in the beginning of time. Also very tropey here. I thought, like, <laughs> I'm hacking into the mainframe. and like, oh, you got to do it before it explodes. Some of um, the dialogue there then, gave me secondhand embarrassment. I'm not going to yeah, lie. Yeah, but some of it was good. When, when he goes, that's because you're a hologram, I thought that yes. was like a good. No, no, no. That line made me laugh. I thought that was great. I mean Sabine's dialogue there. There are a couple moments sprinkled, especially, I would say, more so throughout the second episode than the first with dialogue where I was like, I'm getting a little bit of secondhand bears here and here. Yeah. So like it wasn't it wasn't enough to completely derail me throughout the episode, but some of Sabine's dialogue being like, kind of like me, this droid is incredibly resilient. I was yeah. like, ooh, don't yeah. like that as much, you know? So there are like bits and pieces of that. Again, it wasn't enough to make me go, I hate also, it. 
But yeah. it was just like, ooh, didn't love that. <laughs> no, I agree. And could she have been a little bit more hurt? Like a little bit yeah. more groggy or something? Like you just had your insides ripped Burned. by a lightsaber. Yeah. Um, I, I just anyways. think she looked a little too upkept. But Hewing's comment of, that's because you're a hol It's just perfect. I think he's the best companion. They could not have picked a better droid to come into the show. Also, David Tennant's voice acting is fantastic. So no complaints on Hewing's. No, Side I think of he's, he's fantastic. Um, so they figure out the droid came from Corellia in one of the Morgan Elspeth factories. She's like, hey, I'll meet you there, Hera. Let's go see what's what's going on. Sabine's like, I want to go too. And they're like, no, you just got stabbed. Chill out, dude. Um, also, so Hera, kind of cold to her. She's like, no, you didn't. Yeah, she is. <laughs> she's she's being very moody to her, yeah. which is strange. So that was, yeah, that's another thing where I'm kind of like, what's going on? Can we explain this a little bit more? She's very um, reserved and stoic in this, which I'm having a hard time getting a good read on. But again, the show's still so early that I don't know if I want to lock it in yet and be like, why is she like this? Yeah, we're, still we're early. We'll give give me yeah. a couple more episodes and then we yeah, can, we'll figure it know. out. Yeah. We check in with uh, Morgan, the night sister Morgan, as she meets with Balin and Shin at a night sister ritual site. She taps into her powers and opens the map that Shin returned to her and uh, this is supposedly the destination of Grand Admiral Thrawn. They call it the Pathway to Peridia, I think, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is an old Jedi fairy tale told to younglings. Morgan says Thrawn calls her across space and time, and they must compete, complete the Eye of Sion. Very the Eye of Sauron. Sauron, Zion, Sion. I see you. I see you, Dave Filoni. <laughs> I see you. You cannot hide. Dude, um, that interesting is here. So I guess yeah, maybe it is her night power, her night sister powers. That's what, what's connecting all this, which I think is that that's fine. I think that's good writing. You know, that's extremely that's Lord of the Ringsy. Yeah, he's delving um, deep into his origins here. Then they say they must complete the. I don't know what that means. The Eye of Sion. Then she asks the. So, she asks Merrick to complete his task and then leaves. So I have a thought here. I didn't know what the Eye of Sion is until the very end. It's like their little machine thing that's going to launch them across the galaxy. To try to find Thrawn. That's what they're building. The Eye of Sion is what they're building. I believe to launch them into the next galaxy. It's like some kind of machine. I didn't catch on to that. Yeah, that the was first kind of time. like at the end we see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't catch on to that the first time. And then the second time I Which watched it. Which seems like, to be okay. like a Purgil harnesser or something. <laughs> something yeah. And I don't know if you Because saw at the this. end of the scene, you also see Balin. Wait, I didn't get a chance to read this, but Balin's like looking up and he's, he's talking to uh, what's her name? Shin. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, about it and like he looks up and you can kind of see stuff moving through the clouds which kind of looked like the a Virgil. Virgil. Yeah. yeah. So I think that is kind of a clue to what they're doing. Yeah, um, they're harnessing the power of the Purgil to yeah. get across because they the Purgil can travel through hyperspace. That's why Ezra launched himself and Thrawn to the other galaxies because he knew the Purgil. He can talk to the Purgil through the Force. Yeah, so I think this it. was an element that needed to be explained better because I knew a little bit about that from Mando and from our conversations but I don't, I don't know. Like, if you're a random person watching this, you're going to have no idea what's going on, what he's looking mm. at in the sky, what any of this is. And there's no clue to it whatsoever. What happened mm-hmm. to Thrawn? What happened to Ezra? How'd they got there? There wasn't any explanation for that. And I think mm-hmm. that was a huge gap in both of these episodes that if I'm just walking in, I've never watched any animated Star Wars or much Star Wars at all. I'm interested in this new cool character that I've seen in billboards in Hollywood and I want to watch this show. Mm-hmm. I'd be pretty lost same way I'd be lost with the new season of Mando where you're like, how did Grogu get back with Mando? Get back. Mm-hmm. Like, you it, gotta take this stuff into account. You have to pretend like your audience hasn't watched this stuff before. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't know if they necessarily covered everything as well as they they might have. I think the show relies pretty strongly on the 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 audience's knowledge of Star Wars Rebels, or at least the last season, um, which I think is a little problematic. I don't know if it's enough to blow the show out of the water yet, but I think that they're still going to have to unpack a lot of stuff if they want people to be able to follow. Because like, like I said, I was watching it with Dad, and Dad was really confused on a lot of stuff. I was, I was too. Like, I was, I was like, too, oh, and I'm like, I'm like, I got to talk to Melissa about some of this because I don't know if I'm supposed to know or not know, and I already also know kind of bits and pieces already because you've already we've already kind of talked about it in some mm-hmm. of our trailer breakdowns and some of that, so I already have some context, but still, I was a little disappointed with the lack of explanation for some mm-hmm. of this stuff. Like, I again, I don't want it to become too much like Marvel where you have to have watched everything to know exactly what's going on next, and that's mm-hmm. a little bit the direction we're going with Star Wars, and I don't love that yeah each thing needs to stand on its own still relating to the other stuff but it needs Mm -hmm. to be able to stand on its own to connect these worlds so that someone can watch something and go oh hey this was interesting let me go watch this thing and then it makes sense for them you know it still enhances Mm -hmm. the experience but you can't do it linearly where you have to have watched this stuff in this order Mm -hmm. for it to all make sense you need to be able to jump around you know and have it still all be connected they have to be self-contained yeah yeah um so let's see. Shin asks her master, master when what happens when they find Thrawn? And he says, for some, it means war. For others, a new beginning. Cool line. Balin here is awesome. Mm-hmm. I love this scene. He's such a badass. He's such He's a cool so character. Cool. Um, then he sends her to Corellia to help Art Merrick. Um, so let me see uh, Ahsoka and Hera on Corellia, greeted by Min Weaver, the region's supervisor. This guy's a dork. Uh, With the, dude, he is like a Spartan brand Michael Scott, I swear to you. He kind of is. He yeah. is like like an older, like, and his nose is huge. I don't know if you checked yeah. out the size of his nose. No, it's he's massive. He already he he did a good job. This actor did a really good job. Yeah. Um. They say the New Republic should have seized all of Morgan's assets, and Weaver refuses to show Hera and Ahsoka around. He's being a little shady, and he's uh, eventually forced to give in. He also has an interesting line here. They ask like, "What happened to all the former Imperials?" And they're like, "They work here." Which I thought was an interesting little tidbit, you know? Like, what did happen to those guys? There was a it's lot a of really them. It's a really interesting like, question They're not loyal to anybody. They're just, they take a pay- paycheck. And they explain that nicely here. So I thought that yeah. was cool. Nice job. Yeah, <laughs> nice I think writing. that was nice. It was extremely Clone Wars-y too in execution, you know? It just reminded me of all those typical arcs where Anakin and Ahsoka, they go to a planet, probably Mandalore, they find the corrupt leader, uh, Almec, you know, and then they have to confront th- like the structure of this was extremely Clone Warsy in execution, yeah. even up to like the line delivery at the end, which, by the way, I wasn't super impressed with. But we can get to that. Sure. Um, then they say, uh, oh, Hera, yeah, she questions their loyalty. They say they're all loyal to money over the Empire, which isn't necessarily true. But for some of them, I'm sure it is. During the ride, they ask about Sabine. Ahsoka waves it off. She's being very standoffish again. Um She's like, hey, do you want to make her your apprentice again? She's coming to bat for Sabine. She really wants it to happen. And uh, she's like, well, what makes someone ready? And Ahsoka's like, you just know. You know when you know. And so do they. Okay, cool. Uh, that means Cool nothing. answer, uh, not what she was looking for. Yeah. Uh, and then checking in with Sabine, Hu Yang notices her lightsaber. She corrects that it's Ezra's, but she says she modified it. He says she modified it, so it's now hers. He asks if she kept up with her training, and she said Ahsoka doesn't want to train her. Yu Yang essentially tells him to both get over it and move forward, yeah. which is funny. Um, I love how he her. calls her out, too. He's like, you're yeah. making excuses. Yeah. Like, he, good. He's a really, Drag her. really well-written character, like a cool Jedi droid. You know, he yeah. has that programming in him. 
oh, back with Ahsoka and Hera, uh, Weaver takes them to the control center. They see this hyperdrive core. They start asking questions. This guy's getting a little flustered. Hera tries to pull rank. She's like, well, I'm the general, and I can do whatever I want. You want to bet? And uh, she's being really I'm, sassy. Mm, I didn't love the dialogue here, to be quite honest. I don't know if it's the dialogue, but I'm struggling the most with Mary uh, Winstead as Hera above everybody else. I am really struggling with her interpretation of the character. It wasn't bad the first time, and then... I was like, oh, okay, like, this is fine. I don't love it, but I can get past it. The third time I watched it, Matt, I feel like she's she's being a caricature of Hera as opposed to Hera herself. Like, I just don't feel the character, and I feel like a lot of it is in her line delivery. Like, you know how we watched that one part, uh, that one clip when it first came out? She has moments sprinkled throughout both these episodes where she feels like Hera. Like, little moments where I'm like, that was very Hera. You know, like, or the the dialogue of keep your lid on, chop, things like that. But then, like, the rest of the scene just feels very, very clunky. And honestly, again, the secondhand embarrassment just completely took me over. I was like, Ugh. I'm probably struggling with her most of all. And not just, like, in her acting, but also the makeup and the prosthetics aren't 100% there for me either. Like, I still really feel like she's wearing a costume. And I, yeah. I'm going to be frank, I've seen cosplayers do better. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It does kind of feel feel cosplay-y. It just does um, not feel authentic. And I'm really struggling with her above everybody else. Now, again, it could be a matter of give these actors and actresses more time to dig into their characters. Like, maybe the more the episodes go on, maybe the more natural it'll feel. Again, it's very early. I'm completely open to it. But I just, I'm not loving the vibes I'm getting from her in particular at this moment. Like, I don't really know if she embodies Hera for me quite yeah, yet. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with all that. I think you're, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It just doesn't feel fully there yet, which is fine. And it might get there. I just, this episode, it really, it did stand out to me a bit more as well. So I agree with you. Um, Blah, blah, blah. Okay, so then this guy's getting flustered. The protocol droid in the room starts telling the truth about uh, these assassin droids that were on the planet. And all the workers are like, oh, she spilled the beans. And then the ship with the hyperdrive begins to take off. And Hera's like, hey, uh, don't do that. And then this guy's like, for the Empire, and starts shooting. Maybe maybe next fight. time he could shoot first and then yell for the Empire after. <laughs> yeah, for the Empire. Um, or go- not yell anything. Be a little, Be a little bit more subtle. Maybe um, don't give the heroes a chance to kill you. <laughs> yeah. So they make quick work of them. Ahsoka's ready for the attack. She uses her spidey senses to, uh, to kill them. Seen from the trailer as she jumps out of the, the broken glass um, and starts racing for the Phantom. Or I'm sorry. Hera starts racing for the Phantom as Chopper starts the engines. We get some Chopper action in here. And then as Ahsoka leaps out the window, we see Merrick and uh, they start fighting. Dun, dun, dun. Hera takes off the, after the ship, which starts firing on her. Chopper gives all of his sassiness as he, he is also a great again droid like yeah addition to the star wars universe this guy i don't know a ton about him like I, again i haven't watched rebels but like i have seen clips and i know some stuff and i um he's he's it's a it's a very funny interesting character also voiced by dave filoni which is hilarious <laughs> the sound design for him i think again amazing like there's so much personality with this little droid so i really really love that Hera he's takes great. off after the 
transport ship uh he suggests like shooting it down and just like letting it kill a bunch of people which i thought was funny she's like we can't do that and he's like why who cares <laughs> he's notorious for that chopper like straight yeah. up kills people in rebels and i think everybody's just excited about that potential coming back yeah he has a kill count doesn't he yeah he does <laughs> that's hilarious how many it's got to be a lot right i don't know i think there's a compilation on youtube which i think we'd have to look up but it's pretty yeah. funny <laughs> Uh, so, uh, to, 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 oh, Ahsoka's fighting Merrick. We see this. This is the clip we broke down a couple mm-hmm. episodes ago. So we've already kind of talked about it. I still think the fighting here is a little choppy. It could have been a little bit better. Mm-hmm. It is really hard to capture Ahsoka's fighting style, though, in live action. So I yeah. will caveat it by saying that. Hers is very fast and aggressive in the way they did it, especially in the last season of Clone Wars. It's really hard to replicate that. Mm-hmm. So, um... But I did think it could have been, you know, there was a couple scenes like when she's both the lightsabers are up mm-hmm. and like they both hit her and she kind of moves back a little bit. I was kind of like, mm. Mm. yeah, OK, um, that's fair. But I still think this was this was better than the one in the first episode. And it was still fun and mysterious. We're like, who is this guy? You know, mm-hmm. um, she seems to be a little out of breath by it, but nothing she can't handle, you know. Kind of similar right. to the Qui Gon scene because Merrick ends up jumping on the transport ship and leaving, and then the his spinny helicopter lightsaber starts coming back, and she just like sidesteps. I like, no thang. Loved that. Yeah. I love the one thing I love about Ahsoka's interpretation in these uh, episodes is the fact that she seems extremely in tune with herself and the Force. Mm-hmm. Like it's just become such a natural part of her. In fact, I think her interpretation in this is extremely samurai like. Mm-hmm. It's very yeah controls, yeah no there was very there was, you, she's Kurosawa very type vibes yeah Kur- this Kurosawa for sure but like she's very um, controlled she's very stoic and I saw a lot of people talking about how you know when you've been through a lot you tend to put more of a guard up and I really get the sense that Ahsoka's guard is completely up and while she's in control and she's really in touch with the force around her she's also a little bit blocked. Because she hasn't gotten to the point where she's Ahsoka the White yet. She's still Ahsoka the Grey. Very much like Gandalf. And so she has that development that she needs to go through. And maybe part of that is letting that barrier down. Maybe like that grief, that weight that she's carrying knowing what happened to Anakin. Despite knowing that, you know, his children are still alive and continuing to like do stuff in the galaxy. So I think the interpretation here is very interesting so far about where Ahsoka is at emotionally. And I will say I did like some scenes a little bit better more than others in regards to Rosario's performance of that. This being one of them. I love how she just moved to the side. (laughs) Yeah, that was really cool. Um, Okay, back on Lothal. Sabine returns home, takes out her Mandalorian armor, laying it out piece by piece. She dons Mm -hmm. the armor, kneels it before laying out her helmet, cuts her hair very ceremoniously. (laughs) Very much. Uh, This is something that Kanan did in Star Wars Rebels as well. Ah, okay. So it's a very symbolic moment. Um, back on Corellia, the New Republic arrests Weaver and the rest of the workers. They uh, Ahsoka and Hera part ways, uh, and there's a call waiting for Ahsoka on her ship. It's Sabine in her armor, armor telling Ahsoka she's now ready. The next scene is this scene by scene recreation from the Star Wars Rebels epilogue, which is pretty cool, uh, really well done. If you compare the scenes side by side of how Sabine visits the mural of the Ghost Crew and touches Ezra's face, Ahsoka arrives to pick her up, um, and they start going to the Deneb system. Um, and Very as they leave strange. Lothal, Ahsoka calls Sabine her Padawan, which I, I didn't love that part. I loved the, the cinematography in the mural area. I thought it was mm-hmm. awesome. But then she's like, you're my new Padawan. And I was just kind of like, mm, I okay. feel like they needed an extra conversation. 
I feel uh, 100% like they yep, did. Yeah, they they jumped to that. In my opinion, they jumped to that a little too quickly. I feel like there was an opportunity for them to have a conversation when Sabine Hollow calls into Ahsoka, mm-hmm. and she says, "I'm ready." And then you kind of open up the floor for more conversation. But I feel like Ahsoka was just was kind of like, "Okay." Like, yeah, we're doing and there was no now. moment that there was no moment from. Sabine. Yeah. And by the way, there was that other scene where it just shows her getting perfectly healed, like she pulls off the thing and her lightsaber wound is just fine. But there was no like moment where it's like mm-hmm. Sabine's like, oh, "I'm definitely ready now." Like there was none of that. Mm-hmm. And, there, and then the last scene we saw about the the topic with Ahsoka and Hera, she's like, "No, I'll know when she's ready," but she still seems yeah. standoffish about it. So there's no moment for her either. So for them to just kind of pick up where they left off without more context was, uh, I don't know, it just didn't flow yeah there wasn't a ton of resolution there they definitely needed to have a conversation or like talking about i really what really needed to happen in my opinion is maybe kind of a humbling moment for sabine realizing oh i'm not ready for this i got my ass kicked like maybe having ahsoka say something like hey i don't think you're ready for this i don't think it's going to move on sabine's like no i am ready maybe sabine then gets her ass kicked and she comes back to ahsoka and she's like you're right i'm not and maybe yeah. then you have a little a little bit of a moment of reconciliation. Now, that could still happen. They could still have a conversation in the third episode and the fourth episode, but I really feel like they missed an opportunity here to kind of bring it full circle because it just feel like Ahsoka changed her mind really quick. Yeah. She was, like, instant. Yeah. So um, I would have probably added a little bit more depth there if that was me. So we go to Denob. This, we see this massive structure. I think it's a purgel capturing machine. Uh looking kind of like those the hyperspace rings that obi-wan uses to fly his mm-hmm, that's what i space. thought it was um it's the eye of scion the ship morgan will use to find thrawn um and balin is troubled by ahsoka's arrival he says interesting scene here ahsoka's coming and it'll be sad for them to kill her as she's one of the last remaining jedi and the episode ends there morgan's so, response was interesting to that she goes sentimental and he goes truth yeah He's a very intriguing character, and I'm very bummed that he will no longer be with us after this. So it makes the performance much more impactful, I think. But um, Mm. but he's he's the most intriguing part of the show, I think, so far. Those two. Um, Yeah, uh, especially because Balin seems a little bit more complicated. Like he he's not entirely Sith, and neither is Shin. Like they're not entirely Sith, but yeah, there's something completely new in their own category, but I loved how they added that line. Like, he really seemed remorseful at the fact that Ahsoka might have to die. And she's like, well, we can't really afford that. And he's like, I know. And then I feel like it's going to get to this point where when they inevitably have the conversation about Anakin Skywalker, there's going to be a lot of tension that comes out of that convo for both of them. Because he says in the trailer, everyone in the Order knew Anakin. He was like a legend. And she's like, I'm not here to talk about this. <laughs> like, Yeah, he kind of reminds me of uh, the guy from Fallen Order, the first one, um, Terran something. Mac. Mm, why can't I think of Terran, what you're talking about? Uh, Malikos, maybe that's his name. Terran. Oh, right. The guy on he, Dathomir. Mm-hmm. He kind of reminds me of that guy. You know, and I feel like they may, may have been able to recycle that character or use him in Interesting. some capacity. I mean, they couldn't have because of the timelines, but he kind of reminds me of him in that regard where he was part of the Jedi Order and then he kind of goes into madness on Dathomir with like Interesting. magic Interesting. Dude, um, wouldn't, wouldn't Balin technically be Anakin's age? Maybe a little, yeah, maybe a little younger, but yeah. yeah didn't Anakin die like he was, when he was like in his 40s? 
No, 50s, I think. Or maybe 50s? it was his 40s. Maybe it was his 40s. Old, <laughs> no, yeah. Look, he was, a, he was a little potato underneath the mask. He was a rotted potato underneath the mask. But I think Balin's around Anakin's age, so they were probably both in their 20s. Maybe. Yeah, I'm interested to see where they, like, the kind of context he gives. So I, I will watch his character development with great interest. I think he's <laughs> one of the strong suits of the show. Um, so let's give let's give some final thoughts here. Like, overall, what do you think of, of both of these? I think it is a very solid start to the show. I think there's an incredible amount of potential. There were some things that were off-putting to me, like some dialogue, some of the performances. Again, I'm not completely sold on Hera. She's probably the biggest one for me, and that bothers me a little bit because I love her character so much in Rebels. Like She's an excellent, motherly, kind, maternal figure in rebels and i just don't want to lose that and i felt like the interpretation for mary weinstead was not totally there although it could get there um i am anxious to see how ahsoka's character develops i did feel like they focused maybe a little bit too much on sabine in some scenes where i really really want to see ahsoka's development after watching these first two episodes, I can safely say that the show feels a little bit more like Rebels Season 5 as opposed to Ahsoka. You know, it feels yeah. like a direct continuation of Rebels, maybe not Ahsoka's story necessarily, which has me a little concerned. So I hope we don't lose that entirely. But I do think that the show set the foundation for the series really, really well. And I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm I'm a little anxious about some things, but again, it's super early to tell. But I think I'll have a pretty good feel about the show after episode four, yeah. I'd say. You seem excited about it, which is good. Um, yeah, what I is, think... What is... Go ahead. I think, honestly, like, for the most part, I feel really good about it. I think it really feels like the show has a sense of direction, and I can't honestly say that the last few shows have felt like that. It feels mm. like there is a plan to the show. Yeah. That they do have a certain outcome, and I think that you know like Balin and Shin were really strong setups Morgan Elsbeth was a really strong setup I really enjoyed Ahsoka's introduction I think that it's set up to succeed I'm just I'm anxious to like get into like a rhythm with the show it's like okay we have the setup now let's get into the rhythm I really want to start yeah and I still th yeah I agree I'm well, so what, rating into it. what rating would you give it what rating both of them together or as individual episodes you can do individual yeah you can do individual i would say the first episode is definitely stronger than the second one i think it was just a little bit tighter and i enjoyed it a lot more so i would probably have to say that one's maybe like an eight or an 8.5 and then i'd have to say the second one's probably like a 7.8 which is still okay. really high, I think. Yeah, those are really high ratings. That's really that's a really strong start. And I, you know, from my side, I agree with you on almost everything you said. So, like, overall with both of them, I think the first episode's better. And I think that's because Filoni directed it. I think mm -hmm. that made a huge difference. The musical cues, the pacing, the transitions, the tone, the... Uh, the, the direction, like the true direction of it, I think mm -hmm. was much more structured. It set things up very nicely. It felt more Star Warsy, I think, than the mm -hmm. second one, which is a term we use a lot on this show. Um, I think the practical effects were huge, strong suit. The set design, production yes. value, really, really good. The music, some of the best we've heard in any Star Wars show. Like Mando's is great, but this is like more original Star Wars esque. Like they did mm -hmm. the original stuff for Mando. This is like more of a continuation of that original universe, which I think is awesome. Mm -hmm. Um. So Kevin Kiner, amazing, great job. Like, so like all of that stuff is the best Star Warsiness of any 
recent shows. I think it's mm-hmm. even the music's definitely better than Kenobi. I thought. Um, oh the yeah, the pacing of this was really good. I agree with you. I think the dialogue was a little choppy uh, in some areas. Some of the Hera stuff was a little choppy. Some of the scenes dragged on a little bit. I think, mm-hmm. which is fine. It was it's a little slow at times. Not a big deal. It's not not a deal breaker for it me. It could have just been tightened a little. Yeah, and then um, not sure how I feel about Rosario in some scenes yet. I still yeah. think she's a huge improvement from what we've seen before. Mm-hmm. But I'm not 100% there, but I still think she she did a massive improvement. I only think it's going to get better as we go on. So, mm-hmm. uh, again, not a huge ding there. Fight choreography, I think, needs a little bit of work. Those action scenes could have been – they just could have been way better. Like, they were still good, but I just think they could, mm-hmm. there was, there's room to grow. And we are spoiled by prequel lightsaber fights. And so, like, I always have that in my mind. I can't not compare it to that. And also video games, you know, like Fallen Order and stuff, the – fight choreography and all those is just so mm-hmm. well done um and it's just a, it feels a little telegraphed to me in some some circumstances like it feels like someone kind of did like a little cosplay lightsaber fight in their backyard at some at some points sure um and i think that was a criticism from uh, uh some many people so i don't think i'm out of depth there i think a lot of other people kind of said something similarly the thumbnail for episode two like showing sabine was like what are we doing like i hated that transition like i I think I think that was a good way to end the first one, but to have her come back so quickly afterwards just cheapened it. Like mm. it's just not good storytelling, in my opinion. You sh- you got to make that more impactful. You got to make the you got to tie up the Ahsoka Sabine relationship more. You also got to let the show stand on its own and not rely too much on the Filoni universe that they've built. Yeah. You have to make it so that everyone can watch the show and know what's going on and get sucked in. I do so feel like my they relied criticisms. a little heavily on Rebels. They did. And um, just based on other people's reactions that I've seen that I know who watched it, I was like, oof, yeah, you're really not. Because for the average Rebels fan, this is probably candy. You know, there's so many things that I caught in there where I was like, oh my gosh, that's that character's name. That's that character's name. Oh my gosh, I can't believe like they did that and they tied in Jai Kel and then Ryder Rizzotti and all these things. Like, I get that because I've been committed over the years and I'm going to be rewarded for that commitment. However, I don't think it's good storytelling if a newcomer can't just come in and. Enjoy, enjoy the thing it. on its own. Agreed. Now, to my rating, I would say I agree with you. I think this first ep- first episode was better. I think Filoni did a better job mm-hmm. directing, just honestly. I give it like an eight. I agree with you. I think it's about an eight, seven, nine, eight-ish, mm-hmm. um, which is really strong. So I, I think it was a really good start off for this show. Like, mm-hmm. Also compared to other TV shows, I think you know, with a sci-fi show like this, like a Star mm-hmm. Wars fantasy type show, pretty good. You know, that yeah. opening scene... And the introduction of these characters, the mystique behind it is just was really good. Mm-hmm. So I'd give it a strong rating. I'd say the second one I didn't enjoy as much, um, especially from the not having as much context from Rebels mm. part of thing. Uh, especially with you know some there could have been more explanation with Thrawn and with Ezra and with Sabine and Ahsoka and all that stuff. So I'd give it a lower one. It's, it's still high. I'd, I'd give it like a seven three though, seven four mm. maybe, which is still pretty good that's still pretty high yeah but it's i'd say it's the appropriate amount underneath the first one which i thought was was really good overall though as both these episodes stand really good and i'm excited about the next couple weeks i'm excited to watch them like truly like okay what happens next week i'm excited to watch it which is a good sign you know Mm -hmm. i can't necessarily say that was the case for mando this year because it Mm kind of fell flat i don't think this fell flat at all i think it, it started off very strong and i hope they can continue that momentum for the rest of the season 
Yeah, I agree. There's definitely an intrigue. Like, I'm anxious to get to Tuesday. I'm also just really happy about the release time now. It's like, okay, it's on Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. for me. That's fantastic. I can watch it and still get to bed at a reasonable hour, which is amazing. Yeah. I think this show is really going to be a slow burn. I really do. I think it's going to – and I mean that in, like, a good way. I think Dave Filoni is super notorious for the slow burn. Like, it's going to take some – some time to build the momentum and i think that these first two episodes are an example of that but i think it's really going to come together in the end and be like yeah. oh that's what you were doing yeah and they had the everything season. they needed they had action they had character development they had good dialogue like moments of like explaining stuff they just need to keep doing that i think mm-hmm. like so all my criticisms guys take people hate when i criticize these shows take them with a grain of salt i'm just trying to be honest here uh, yeah, that's all you here. should do. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and be like, it's the best show ever made. Like, I'm going to be honest. And honestly, I think it's good. Like, I mm-hmm. think we're in, we're in good shape. And uh, I just hope they I hope they continue it. And I hope they they don't uh, they don't take any shortcuts or, or sure. any cheap, cheap moves. And I don't think they will. I hope it will be a slow burn. I hope they take time to develop the characters more and explain things and, you know, wrap everything up together. So even my complaint about not knowing the rebel stuff they might explain that in, in the next couple episodes, which great. I still think yeah, you need to could. take get most of that out of the way in the first two episodes just to get it done so that people know if they haven't seen it before. But overall, I feel hopeful about it. I think it's great. So I'm happy with it. Great. Yep, I think I think we're in a good place. Do do we have time for listener questions? Uh, how many do we have a lot? Well, we have a few questions on the community page and then one via email. Do you have the community page pulled up? I can just read the email real quick. Yeah. You want to read the email? Yeah. So we have an email from Damien and Damien's question is, my question for the Ahsoka show is, are we going to see Agent Callus and Zeb? I'm asking this because in the finale of Star Wars Rebel Season 4, it was mentioned that Agent Callus went back with Zeb to his home planet of Lyrasan. Uh, are we going to see both of these characters with the ghost crew? I, and then the paragraph goes on, but just in some, I think Zeb was a part of the original ghost crew. If anything, I think he'd cameo, but I cannot see him having a big part in this show. Unless, like, they all came together and had to fight Thrawn's forces at the end. That's literally the only scenario where I could actually see Zeb coming back and then Agent Callus respectfully i don't think that they i don't think that they're going to come in and have like this big part but i could definitely see it like being a cameo or through like a hologram or maybe at the final battle at the end but i think for the most part those characters are going to be pushed pushed to the side since i think they're really trying to hone in on the sabine and ahsoka relationship and finding ezra yeah um i think they cameo but i don't know if they necessarily have like a big part the other thing to consider for this is it's expensive to make that character in live action. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so they just might not have the budget for it. So I don't, I don't see it him being a a large recurring part in this. Honestly, although you can tell that a lot of the budget went to this show. I think maybe where they blew the budget the most is probably Ahsoka and then Andor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can see they did a really good job with production thus far, but she's got to be careful because if you force stuff and you don't do it correct. Uh, because you're cutting corners, you don't have the budget for it. It's like it cheapens the overall show. So, yeah, I don't know. If, um, I don't know if Zeb and Callus really even have a place here. You yeah. know, it's not focused in on them, and that's a really good point to bring up in the budget. And also, the Damien says, "Keep up the great work." Thank you. Oh, thank you, Damien. Thank you for watching. We appreciate you. Some stuff from the uh, community page you guys wrote. Stephen Cuffey mm-hmm. wrote, "It's incredibly amazing," and what I expected, I loved it. Looking forward to episode three. 
Giovanni wrote, really enjoyed it. Had missed Rebels, and this really brought it back. I hope you guys do a live reaction to them. I was hoping to see you guys do a live reaction to them. Oh. Maybe we can do that. Maybe we can do one of those. Yeah, we can, maybe maybe next week we can do that because we'll be on the same. This one was tough because it was the different time zones, and uh, it, was it was two really episodes. Long. <laughs> it was really long. So maybe, maybe we'll do that next week if we haven't had the baby by then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, um, it's it's a little tricky to do that just because we don't also have a timer. Maybe that's something that I need to research into because we can't put the episode up because of copyright issues. <laughs> so yeah, we'll work you know on we that. Can, we can we can do a we can do a timer. We can do one. Um, we can do. I could I could actually do that with OBS. You can put a timer on OBS and just stream the camera from OBS to have a timer. Oh, that'd be great. Play at the same time. That'd be um, great. So that way let's people can tune in. They can tune in and watch with us. So yeah, actually, let's plan on that. We'll talk through it, and then we'll make a post on the community page maybe for people to tone, tune in and do a, a live reaction. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, CS Orange wrote, unbelievably good. Everything I had hoped for, if not more. People criticized Andor's two-episode premiere. I highly doubt there will be complaints about Ahsoka's two-episode premiere. Wasn't Andor hmm. three episodes? I thought it was three. Yeah. I don't know, though. I really don't remember, dude. I haven't watched yeah. Andor since we watched it the first time. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get flack for that for sure <laughs> did you want to read one? Oh yeah sure um pinky davis 4223 says it was awesome was not expecting morgan to be from the witches are you kidding me the show is going places we did not expect it's going to be epic i think that everybody definitely suspected morgan was going to be uh like a descendant of the night sisters but i think it was cool to see them bring that to fruition because the night sisters are such a cool concept yeah they are it was, um, i agree with that totally if the show keeps going sorry this is timothy whitfield 8785 if the show keeps going like episodes one and two it will be my new favorite star wars series not that i hate any of them lol <laughs> um Fair. then we have jibe 7796 says i i was extremely satisfied patrick gill says it was amazing Keith Farrell said, it felt like live action Rebels. I loved it. So the reception is really positive. Yeah, and it also I think debuted like, at like an so. 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. Now it's at like 86 or something. So pretty uh, positive. Rating? I mean, uh, I think that's the tomato meter, the regular one. But oh. e- either way, if you look at those, there are some mixed reviews. And I think, I mean, a lot of the critiques of stuff we've already kind of talked about. But I don't think that's a, that's a I don't think that's it's anything that's going to like make or break the show a hundred percent unless unless there's you know some stuff down the line that they stay consistent with like choppy dialogue or some some moments that just aren't you know yeah the pre-existing problems would definitely still have to be consistent throughout the show uh jurassic jam loving this so far i especially like the dark souls looking maroc totally he looks badass i feel great things coming for the show totally agree with you i think there are there's a lot to be seen and wanted from the show. And there's a lot of creativity and it, it really stays true to the star Wars vibe, which was like creative, new, fresh, fun, interesting content. Um, Dude, Jonas did you the see the, wrote... go ahead. Sorry. Did you see the theory on uh Merrick potentially being star killer from the Porsche unleashed? I did. What I do you did think? I did see that. Well, Sam Witwer is in the credits of the show, so it wouldn't be, crazy if that happened right i don't know that it would be the best decision but i also never played star wars force unleashed all the way through from my understanding he's just way too powerful like to keep that character from that game like as is well what if it was star wars today and make it canon but if you took a version of him 
and put him in the show. I think that'd be cool. Or maybe they're just throwing a bone to Sam Witwer and be like, look, you've been such a big part of Star Wars. Here's a cool part for you. Maybe he's someone totally new. I don't know. Dude, if it was somebody totally new and he took off the mask and it's Sam Witwer, I think I would freak out. I think that would be a really, really cool move. Yeah. Uh, just I because agree. it's a great callback to Starkiller. You don't have to make him Starkiller, but you could. I mean, like, isn't isn't Starkiller's, what, what is it, Galen Merrick? I think his last name, like, is Merrick yeah, or same. Mark or something like Merrick, that. Merrick, yeah. And that feels, that is so Dave Filoni. Like, Dave Filoni does not do these things no. unintentionally. He is extremely intentional. He's pulled in so much from Legends already, especially that I could see him doing this. But I would just think what a treat for Sam Witwer because he's been a guy who's been there from the beginning. And he did a recent interview where he explicitly talked about Dave Filoni discussing bringing Starkiller into live action. Well, so. that would be a cool move. I wouldn't, wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past Filoni. I just think you'd have to make some adjustments to the character from what I understand from him. I don't yeah. know him great but that would be cool and also you know i think feloni would like to throw sam Witwer a bit of a bone because he's been so involved in so much of star wars you know um, that would be voice acting so wise. cool jonas the dad wrote it can never be as it was animated for a live at action adaptation i found it really good i think that's a good way of putting it you can't uh, animation the reason why they do a lot of these shows animation is budget you can't do some of the stuff in live action that you can do in animation yeah. but as far as it goes in terms of how they've done it so far pretty darn good you know yeah as hard as that is to follow up some of the animated stuff you got to do i think pretty strong mm -hmm. so look guys great thoughts we love them if you guys want to have your thoughts right out on the show email us it's another star wars podcast at gmail.com right another star wars pod another star wars pod at gmail.com email us there or right on our community page it's or comment on this video and uh like and subscribe so that you never miss out on an episode now quick update from us I might be having a baby soon, so it could be today, it could be tomorrow, it might not be for another two or three weeks. The due date's the fifteenth. Uh, I think it's gonna. I think the baby's gonna be here sooner, so I'm I'm guessing before the tenth of September. So that might screw with me being able to react and mm -hmm. you know do some of these breakdowns for everyone watching and curious. Um, some of you might be happy. They might be. Thank God, Matt's not going to be on the show to nitpick no. stupid details. No, am going to have um, conversations. But Melissa will still be here. You are still. You can hold down the ship, and you can do a great job. I'm still going to try to join if I if I'm able to, and you know things are going mm -hmm. well with the baby, and I'm still going to try to, and then I'm still going to watch the show too. So like that's definitely going to happen. I just might not be able to do, you know, reaction videos. Um, so we'll see. But that's just an update from my end. The baby could come any day now. We actually had to cancel our plants to joshua tree today because uh Ooh. we're so close to the finish line here and we just don't want to risk being far away from home so that's an update from my end uh, mm -hmm. but we will still be putting out content nonetheless and i'll still be popping my head in here and there even when the baby is arrived so, yeah exciting times yeah it'll it'll still be good guys i'll be around i'll be holding down the fort like matt says but he's gonna be a dad so that's, that's very exciting, and that always takes precedence. So we'll, we'll, we'll have to see how it goes, but I will keep you guys periodically updated, and Matt will be popping in here and there. But until then, we appreciate your comments and your questions about Ahsoka. I honestly think it can only get better from here. I think as far as a, a live-action sequel to an animated series, I think we're off to a strong start. I'm pretty anxious to see where it goes, but... I think we have a very solid foundation for the rest of the series. And if you guys want to tune in to all of the new content Melissa will be putting out, including chock full of surprises and action and fun commentary, 
of Melissa's reaction videos, don't forget to like and subscribe and tell your friends. Um, we're at almost 5,000 subscribers now. So guys, thanks for joining us on this journey. Pretty crazy. And uh, yeah, hopefully I'll be around in the next few weeks. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out. Yeah, we'll find out. But yeah, until then, guys, let us know what you thought of this episode below. Talk about the highlights you liked and what you didn't like. Are we on the money? Are we overanalyzing too much? Do you like the format of the show, scene by scene? I don't know. Let us know. We listen. We read comments. We listen to feedback. That's the most fun part of the show is engaging. Mm -hmm. So let us know what you guys think. And uh, we'll see you next time. See you guys later. See you. Bye.